ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Chris Bennett, and I help connect businesses with tech freelancers, and I'm your host. Thank you all our listeners again. Um, if you are listening to this episode and you haven't clicked subscribe, please do. Uh, we really welcome your support. Today, we've got a fantastic group of people. Yeah, uh, from some fantastic companies. So big shouts to Economy, Klarna and Datia for providing such people. Um, and obviously they are hiring. So make sure you go on their careers websites because um, they're all going to be talking about a, a, a subject which is close to a lot of our hearts uh, and um, mine included. So let's have a look at the panel. So uh, Matthias, uh, could you introduce yourself, please? So thank you very much, Chris. My name is Matthias Wikström. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Duconomy, working out of Stockholm, covering 32 countries in the world so far, aiming to hit 50 by the end of the year. Perfect. Thanks, Matthias. Uh, and then let's go to Juan. Hi, my name is Juan Manuel Sarrusha. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Datia. We are working with professional investors uh, and helping them invest more sustainably. We are a remote first team uh, with the offices in three different countries at the moment. Perfect. And then finally, Michael. Hello, everyone. Hi, Chris. Thanks for the invitation. Super happy and excited to be here. Yeah, my name is Michael. Um, I'm the uh, accountable lead and product manager of a team called CO2 Emissions Tracker. Um, at the sustainability group at Klarna. So we're basically developing a feature in the Klarna app that calculates um, the carbon intensity of your purchases that you've done with Klarna. And we're showcasing a lot of educational content about how you can behave like in a sustainable way when uh, shopping with Klarna. Can't believe you didn't tell me you're a professional scale, Michael. I don't, didn't know if I can tell that, but yes, I'm <laughs> originally from Switzerland and of course I love skiing in mountain and yeah, since one and a half years I live in this beautiful city of Stockholm. <laughs> uh, well, brilliant. Yeah, thank you for everyone for the introductions. Um, yeah, like I said, today we're discussing how can fintech help climate change in uh, Stockholm at the minute, especially people are choosing their next companies based on the usual stuff, location, uh, salary, uh, but they're also choosing it on corporate resp uh, social responsibility. And likewise, what is that company doing for the world and how are they helping the world? So this is an important issue. So as per usual on the podcast, um, I've asked um, the partic participants to bring some questions. I'm going to talk about those questions and then uh, ask everyone to jump in and get the views on it. So the first one was Matthias. Um, and his question was, is climate change a challenge by all, for all, or are there specific challenges? So, Matthias, will you give us some context about the question and kind of your thoughts around it? Thank you. What a brilliant question. <laughs> I think that, uh, no, but it is very important. I think um, COP26 showed us with the uh, most you know, um, interesting amendment in the final hour when India had their say around phasing out coal, for example. It's easy for us to sit in Stockholm and have the opportunity to choose most of the time in regard to many things um, that the carbon footprint of our lifestyle is by far greater than that of the many in the world. I think today we're approaching um, a tipping point where we don't have to discuss 
the why anymore, but can focus on the how. And happy to see uh, Michael on this um, conversation as well as Klarna is one of the front runners in the world of financial services, actually showing their users what can be done and, and also taking care of their own business. So very happy to see that happening and to support that. But if you're looking at the total carbon footprint of the world, I think 4% is coming out of Africa, I think 3.8 maybe even. So when we discuss um, the climate crisis, I think we need to frame it in a way where the top 10% need to change their behavior instantly in order to drive a major shift in the trajectory that we see leading up to the 2030. And the only way to do that uh, is to provide a tangible methodology around calculating your impact so that everyone can understand it, setting a language, if you may, around your impact and engaging people around acting on that. So that's what we're trying to do at Economy. But we also want to avoid this climate elitism where it's only some people that understands and language becomes more and more complex. Data becomes more and more hard to get to and less and less comparable. I think most people want to do good. We just need to enable them to do so. And at the end of the day, that's what we try to do provide the opportunity to live in a sustainable way for everyone, no matter if you're in Colombia or if you're in in um, Stockholm. Michael? Sure, yeah, great question. Um, I was just reflecting a bit on those words Matthias said and um, speaking about like the elitism or maybe some people are more favorable to act on their emissions than others. I'm speaking about like maybe countries or people living in countries with lower wages than for example in Stockholm. I'm asking myself where do we have, yeah, where do we see a responsibility for ourselves versus um, yeah, those people? Is it, do they have like the same amount of impact they can drive? Um, like an open question, um, maybe to, to ask to Matthias or Juan Manuel as well, right? Um, do we need to support them? Do we need to do more? Do we need to compensate? Because they also want to obviously live the life that we lived in the past few years, right? Because everyone now has the, the chance to be able to get a car, to get a house, uh, et cetera, et cetera, which is obviously increasing the carbon emissions also in those sectors and those um, parts of the world. So yeah, really complex and very, uh, yeah, social, moral and ethical question, right? I reckon we could probably spend an hour discussing this uh, over a nice bottle of red, to be honest. Um, Juan, what's your thoughts? Yeah, we, we look at, at this from a, from an investment perspective and the, the same way that you will you will analyze what is the impact and the footprint of consumer behavior, we look at what is the impact of allocating capital to different corporates. And echoing on what Matthias said, for us, standardization on what's defined as sustainable uh, is, is extremely important and we've seen movement in that direction with the new European Union regulations. Uh, but for us, it's also about communicating to, if you if you generate an investment product and you invest in different corporates, that you're able to collect the data that you need, that you're able to communicate in a standardized way to your retail investors and people that buy on your funds about the, the impact from a climate and social perspective uh, of your investment products too. So I think it's, it's a common topic across that comes from the consumer uh, all the way to to investment and allocation of capital into into different companies as well. Okay, yeah. So um, second point uh, that um, Matthias' question is: What is missing today for 
everyday actions to make more sense. So, same again, come to you, Matthias. Yeah, so I think that um, we need to have comparability. With comparability comes a competitive edge out of a commercial perspective, looking at what Juan Manuel was saying. You know, you have to see this in the same perspective in order for it to make sense for the many. So we can't have different perspectives on the same truth. We need to find one source, sort of like the true north, because then everyone's efforts can be calculated and incentivized in the same way. And I think when you go full circle, you understand that in order for us to be able to contribute, we need to understand what's going on, because only understanding what's going on is going to drive engagement, and engagement is going to create results. Those needs to be measurable. So I think what we're trying to do at Economy, providing both calculations on transactions level, on individual product level, and on lifestyle together with the UN, we see it more as providing a scale for people to stand on. And if there is no data that is consequent or comparable, it's like having a scale without numbers. It's only bars, you know. It's like, who would know? And why would it matter? Um, and I think that's one of the most important uh, issues of, of shaping the language full comparability and increased transparency, shaping the accountability of tomorrow, both out of an individual perspective as well as a corporate perspective. Michael, what, what are you thinking on this? What, what's missing today? Mm. Yeah, I think uh, plus one, everything Matthias said. Maybe I'm coming from like a background that we're trying to make shopping smooth in a way that it's super easy and like very, very good UX is part of that. So what I've been seeing, for example, today is when I'm shopping at, um, yeah, just like I'm shopping a flight, for example, sometimes in that checkout, for example, it's not as easy to directly offset to make a donation to carbon, uh, yeah, to offset your carbon emissions, right? So it's also those little bits and pieces to removing friction to actually act, being able to act on it. So this is something that we're trying to do um, more heavily investing in Clona as well, for example, making it so easy that consumers can just basically click on one link and then they're directly seeing their carbon emissions associated to their, to their purchases. And the world is becoming more and more digitally. And I think, yeah, just decreasing that friction, making it super easy for consumers to understand, as Matthias said, but also act on it, is also like one piece of the puzzle, which I think is going to increase uh, in the future as well. You've got to say smooth, Michael. <laughs> you can't say removing friction. Yeah. Someone's <laughs> going to pull this podcast if you don't, if Kleiner don't say smooth. Come on. Smooth. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> if, yeah, you can't have removing friction as the tagline nice. from now on. Um, no, no, you know great the stuff point, though. <laughs> uh, Juan, get, what, what's missing today? Yeah, I, I think uh, from from a consumer perspective, something that I really miss is the ability for me to, you know, as, as I, for example, plan a trip or or I plan a, a purchase, I am very easily able to compare the price. You know, if I if I take a direct flight or if I take a train or if I take some other type of transportation, if I stay at this hotel or that hotel, I understand the cost of that trip. I would love to be able to understand the carbon cost of of that trip as well, and be able to compare. You know, what are, what are, what is the the dollar value? What is the the carbon uh, footprint of this specific experience that I, that I that I'm gonna take? 
Uh, and you know, similarity on, on the investment side, if I invest into this fund or if I buy stocks into this company, besides the financial return on that on the, and the financial profile of that investment, what is the what is the climate and, and social uh, implications of making that investment? So I think from a from a data storytelling point of view, there is a lot to do for us to to expose not only the financial returns and costs of, of our experiences and transactions, but also the, the climate implications of those. Points there, good points. Um, okay, um, Juan, um, you mentioned uh, how are EU regulators pushing finance towards sustainability? Um, talk us through the context of the question and, and maybe your uh, some of your thoughts on this. Yeah, absolutely. So, in, in the world of sustainable finance, uh, typically has been a world that. Um, certain rating agencies will issue their opinion in, in a rating for a specific financial instruments, specific corporates. And what we see now is that what, what we used to see was that those were not standardized, as you know, as, as Matthias pointed before. So it was hard to understand if you if you were had a 74 environmental rating, like what does that actually mean? And what we're what we're seeing now from the European Union is, is extreme standardization for what sustainable actually means. So, for example, there is a, a new regulation called EU taxonomy that is defining economic activities per company and is a specific, a, specific, a specific threshold per activity. So, for example, if you manufacture aluminium, there's a specific amount of emissions that you can have per ton of aluminium manufacture for you to be con considered taxonomy aligned. So it's very hard thresholds based on data and that's creating a standardization uh, across the industry. It's also creating a need for, for better reporting tools and for better uh, data infrastructure on that side as well. But what we're seeing is that uh, the, the, the industry and the regulators are transitioning from analyst opinions into hard data and, and, and actionable data, which is, I think, is extremely positive. Matthias? No, I think that's something that is um, indicating that most of our businesses to some extent will be regulatory driven. Looking at what's going on with the science-based targets initiatives, setting a net zero finance standard development process for for banks to adhere to and, you know, guiding people in the right direction. One uh, mentioned the taxonomy. We also see the PEF and the OF being the product environmental footprint product or initiative within the EU. We also have the organizational environmental footprint initiative. This is coming into play and I think that the commercial side will lead the way and regulatory will follow. Um, but at the end of the day, I also would like to point out that in, in one way or other, we, we consume, you know, we consume products and services, but we also consume governance in the in, in when we act as voters. So we can vote with our wallet, of course, for products every day, which is quite efficient in order to get companies to to adhere to principles and potentially produce in more sustainable ways. But we can also act into place, getting politicians to step up to this challenge in a more obvious way. Looking at uh, Russia's war in Ukraine now, we see the renewable energies and renewable well-distributed energy sources being almost similar to investments of um, military. So there is a tremendous shift right now, and we're living at the storm of the eye in regard of this. 
when I mentioned comparability in data before, I think we need comparability in across the full playing field, also in regulatory efforts. And when I mentioned that we make, must make sure that there is no climate elitism, we also need to make sure that the playing board is, is equal across the full planet, so that we do not shape unjust um, components in the economies that will make it harder for developing countries to adhere to or contribute to to the reduction of CO2 emissions equivalents, both for 2030 and for 2050. So there are so many things that I think are pointing in the right direction. My greatest concern is that there's so much talking and so many talk even more about it without getting shit done. We need to get shit done. And to Michael's point, if we can make responsibility and sustainability as an experience smooth, I think that's the best thing we can do. Perfect. Um, Matty, just a quick one. I think there's, uh, I don't know if you, um, you're getting some extra sound on um, from your speakers. I don't know if Juan and Michael are hearing that. Yeah. So I don't know if the, it's rubbing against your top or something like that, or... Um, I'm topless, so it can't be true. <laughs> Do you know what? I was going to remove this part, but I'm keeping that on. <laughs> uh, no, appreciate it. We, we, got the point, we got the point, though, I think. Um, Michael, what are your thoughts? I think I just appreciate, like, that like also governmental or like official bodies like the EU, for example, trying to increase, um, yeah, as Matthias said, comparability in within sustainability. So if they're now trying to kind of standardize that, it's much easier for services or for companies also like Klarna to basically um, take those information and display that to consumers. So, um, in the end, it's much easier for them to make like the decision that they want. So if they want to shop, for example, with Klarna more sustainable, they can do it if we have that data. And on top, as we said before, it's standardized, it's comparable. So it's, uh, it's just much more easier to basically act more sustainable. And I think this is super relevant and I'm just super excited to see um, those regulations coming in place. Um, I by far no expert how exactly it's going to look like. So I'm not sure if one, you, you can more talk about how they're going to measure that. So it's just like, like a questionnaire that co companies need to kind of hand in to the EU. How do they make sure that they kind of measure the exact same thing? But I would be happy to learn more about that. But it's definitely super promising. Okay. If I can build on that, yes. One thing is that to, to top up on what Michael was saying, I think sometimes we need to start with the weakest link. We can't aim for perfect because not everyone is there already and we need to have perfect aligned with the weakest link. Um, then we can then we can focus on making it easier, making it more precise, making it more granular, uh, reaching even uh, higher levels of transparency. But the responsibility from 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 person to person, from company to company, from country to country, is to set standards that adhere to the abilities of the weakest link. If there is leave no one behind, I think uh, the climate crisis is exactly that. Okay, perfect. Um, 
One slight slight change of the order, Michael and Matthias. So if you go to the bottom, Juan's um, second question uh, was, what are the challenges for investors to lower the carbon footprint of their portfolios? Um, so Juan, do you, want, do you want to give some context around this and kind of what are your thoughts around this, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, you know, I, I approach it from an investor point of view, but I, I'm sure there are similar challenges on the on the consumer side, which is when when we think about lowering the, the footprint of, or in this case, of, of, of our portfolios, uh, if you are an investor, but also of, of our experiences or purchases. Um, if, imagine that I'm your, your financial advisor and I'm asking you, what are your financial goals? And you tell me, you know, I want to buy a house in 10 years or I want to send my kid to college or uh, so then I, I'm able to construct a portfolio for you that that has the right amount of uh, risk and the right, the right product for for, the, for you, right? But now if I ask you, okay, besides that goal, are you interested in lowering your, your carbon footprint or are you are you interested in diversity and inclusion? Like what are more of your environmental and social uh, concerns and what do you want to work towards with your investments too? Then I need to be able to find alternatives that continue to satisfy your financial goal because you you want to buy that house in 10 years, but also to have the, the right environmental um, profile. So that means that the complexity on the, of the decision increases. And so the need for powerful data tools and insights and you know data analysis becomes more and more important on the, on the financial services side and the wealth advisory side. So we spend a lot of time not only on the climate aspect and, and the and the footprint aspect, but also on the financial aspect. They make sure that just because you, you are lowering the footprint of your portfolio, you're not lowering the quality of the investment itself. Um, so that's that's a challenge, uh, challenge and challenge that we're working on uh, a lot at Datia, which is how do we make sure that we don't lower the quality of the financial product because we are introducing environmental, social and governance constraints to those products. Okay, um, let's come to you first, Matthias. No, I think that's beautiful, and I think that's much needed. I just think it's very hard to calculate the footprint of growth. So today, most of the ESG funds outperform traditional. If we're looking at traditional equity funds, they outperform them. But that's more of a demand side perspective rather than actual performance. And how do we then measure the growth component uh, in that setting? I, I, I'd love to see it done, and I have the greatest respect for what, what uh, Juan and his team is doing, and I hope that they're extremely successful because this will redirect tremendous amounts of money into more sustainable investments. And looking at what needs to be done, I think that's a, a fantastic effort. And and uh, if I, when you succeed in doing that in a in a super good way, I will be coming knocking on your door, working, wanting to work with you guys. Awesome! Soon, soon. <laughs> uh, Michael, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm just uh, super interesting to see or to hear um, what Romano is is uh, building with Dot here, right? So. Um, just plus one, everything uh, you've said. Um, I don't know that in detail, so we'll be happy to <laughs> have like a look at your platform, what you're building um, in, in in detail, but definitely it looks super promising and happy to follow your path as well. How, how close are you to solving this issue, Hoan? 
Yeah, so it sounds like obviously the question is centered around your yeah. business problem, isn't it? Yeah. So how, how, what are the challenges like that you come across now? Yeah, no, we, we are getting there. Uh, I would say for, for most financial products, now we're able to, to do a good job at, at reducing specific APIs while providing the same level of, of uh, you know, diversification within portfolios and risk profile. Uh, there are like some more technical financial terms like sharp ratio, which has to do with like the volatility of, of a specific uh, investment. So when, when, when advisors and, and portfolio managers uh, create these investment products, they look at those metrics. And a challenge has always been, you know, we have this financial modeling in place, and then we have all of this ESG data, but they don't actually collaborate with each other. Mm-hmm. So we, we're spending a lot of time uh, trying to make sure that we, we are able to maintain the financial profile while we are uh, moving uh, investments toward more sustainable alternatives. Okay. Uh, well, it sounds like you've got an extra employee in a few years if you if you succeed. So <laughs> that's worth the extra hours, surely. Yeah. Um, okay. Can, can I maybe ask a question too, Juan? I'm like a tech guy, right? I'm super interested. Where do you get the data from, etc.? So how do you, yeah, make those assessments basically? Yeah. In in terms of the the sustainability related data. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we use primarily three sources uh, of data. We we do a lot of our own um, scraping and looking at different reports, some OCR technology to scan through annual reports, CSR reports, uh, CEO letters, K10s, uh, SEC's website. So we have many data sources. Uh, and then we try to automate as much as we can uh, of that. Then we also have some manual uh, going through reports and, and input them into a database manually when we cannot uh, actually parse this data automatically. But you know the standardization is creating uh, less of that. And the last thing that we do is we have a tool where our asset managers can invite different corporates into our platform. And we have created a free reporting tools for the corporates to come and share the sustainability data with us and help them with some, some calculations too. Um, primarily, you know, when, when we look at if you are if you're an investor that is investing in very small caps or private companies, then typically there is no sustainability reports for us to look at. So then uh, we are we are using this interaction between the investor and the and the corporate to try to to fix those data gaps. Yeah, super interesting. Maybe follow up question: What kind of dimensions uh, do you report? And is that like one number equals sustainability, or they like um, s- some sub dimensions to it? Yeah, I know. So, so we have uh, about 75 different KPIs uh, that, we, that we're working with. Uh, and then based on those KPIs, we're constructing reporting for a more of an ESG type framework, but also there are new regulations that are requiring disclosures from investors. Uh, and we're constructing reporting for those regulations, like the EU taxonomy that I mentioned before, but also SFDR, which is uh, another regulation from the EU that is uh, putting a lot of pressure on the reporting side. Uh, but we try to to gather, you know, carbon-related data, diversity-related data, waste recycling-related data, those those type of KPIs. Love it. Cool. Super interesting. Uh, right. Okay. This is let's. Uh, this is going well. This I'm really enjoying this. Um, Michael's question. So, Michael asked, um, "Who is more responsible to fight climate change, in your opinion, the consumers?" Are the companies offering products to the consumers and why? So, Michael, give us some context around the question and kind of your thoughts around it as well, if possible. Sure, happy to do so. Yeah, I think when I prepared for this podcast and kind of tried to think about questions, um, we obviously talk a lot with 
like our consumers as well, especially in the CO2 track. And one particular feedback that we sometimes um, got is like, hey, why are you putting kind of that pressure on me as an end consumer? Is it not like the company said I need to be accountable for it? And I'm really not sure if someone has looked at the problem from all sides of the angle and found like one answer to this question, which is like obviously like very true because I think it's a complex problem. Um, however, yeah, there's there are reports out there that says like 100 companies account for like 70% of the total uh, greenhouse gas emissions of the world. However, that shouldn't, in my opinion, kind of diminish the factor that we as end consumers can act more sustainably as well. So yeah, it's very an open question how you feel about it. I think this also circles back a little bit to the first question from Tias, like is everyone on the world kind of in the same position to act more sustainable? Because for example, prices for sustainable products are on average, I would say sometimes even higher than non-sustainable ones. We see that with fast fashion, for example. So yeah, I think it's a chicken egg problem, right? Um, there's not one solution. So it's not either the consumers or the companies. So I think we both need to act because only if we are in this in this boat or in this, <laughs> this journey together, we can um, yeah, act for sustainable or long-term change, basically. It's a great question. Yeah. Uh, Matthias, you're nodding your head there. It looks like he's got the answer. Let's go to him. Uh, well, I'm nodding my head for many different reasons. Um, a, because I think it is interesting as a conversation and a topic per se, but also a conversation that uh, I and Michael are likely to have, you know, going forward. Uh, with regularity, which is uh, makes it even more interesting, I think. And um, to, to, to your point there, I, I think to me, I'm getting a little bit sick of the blame game. You know, is it the consumer's fault? Is it the producer's fault? I couldn't care less. Let's get it done. And, you know, there is sometimes when we talk about um, informing people around the basic notion of, you know, Newton's third law, that every action has a reaction. Uh, people say that, oh, now you're throwing the BP playbook at me. You know, now you're telling me it's my fault. It's like, no, not really. But you can also say, we the people. And if we just say, we the people, then you step up to responsibility, no matter what function that you have. If you're working in a company producing goods, or if you're by a cashier checking out produce that you just, that you just have bought, so I think we need we need to look at this in a holistic perspective and say we all need to be part of this change. Sometimes we wear a hat, sometimes we wear a cap. It doesn't really matter. This change is is uh, systemical, and the only thing driving it is really educating everyone around what has impact and how much. How much does this product uh, have in comparison to another product? Can I change my lifestyle in such a way that I can reduce my impact? And how can I do that without reducing quality of life to such an extent that I'm beginning to, to question if I should reduce it at all? So to Michael's point <coughs> final, I'd say that yes, this is a conversation that will be ongoing. But if both sides try and if it becomes profitable for companies to actually provide people with opportunity to lessen their impact or invest for a lesser impact, then they will be making more money. And if you make more money, 
you tend to like it and if you tend to like it you tend to do it more often so if we can make it profitable to save the world the world will be saved in no time well, yeah i mean building up a little bit on, on that idea of aligning uh, profitability and incentives to to a good transition I mean, in my opinion, I'm I'm a very techno optimist. <laughs> so, in my opinion, I see uh, on the short term uh, that consumer behavior can help mitigate a lot of a lot of the climate risk. Uh, but I think on the mid and longer term, what I think we should aim for is not less uh, energy usage, it's not less uh, traveling. I think we should aim to have sustainable traveling, sustainable energy uh, sources, and you know we should be working on you know and we are already working on electric planes. So there, there are many things that we can do with technology and, and, and creating a better tools that go beyond blaming people for, okay, you're traveling too much or you're using too much energy. I think those are short-term measurements uh, because of the, the current uh, technology that exists. But on the long-term, I think the, the companies and, and, and everyone is responsible for creating better technology that is not carbon intensive that we can use to not do less, but do more and, and continue to evolve as, as a species. Okay. Um, next question from Michael, um, and uh, his question was: What and why was the most impactful uh, project in terms of fighting climate change with your current company? Yeah, I think the impactful. I mean, there's a lot. I imagine all three of you got loads of projects that have had some sort of impact. But I think Michael, you were going for which is the biggest one, the best one. So, Michael, give us. Uh, probably your context around the question and and maybe the biggest impact that you've uh, you've had sure sure happy to do that i guess for me it's just super interesting to see other examples um of of projects or just approaches that really worked so as a pm you're always on kind of defining the quest to see what other companies are doing it's just super interesting and um speaking about let's say clown and our projects will be doing um having a hard time selecting one right because we're doing so many great things um, in sustainability within like the last year so uh, for example our internal operations cutting or like first of all measuring our internal um, carbon emissions and setting clients or uh, scientific based targets to reduce um, our carbon intensity then but also switching the focus to like the consumer products and um, like for example, the CO2 tracker or sustainable collections that we launched in the Clone app. With that, we could, or we can basically, and we have basically reached like 3.5 million users just looking at the, the carbon tracker um, in, in 2021. And I guess this is just by itself, like such a nice achievement that we can basically create this awareness and um, through the so-called like in-app um, feedback feature that we had, we collect a lot of like um, comments from users some of them said like oh i didn't really know or was aware that with a purchase especially an online purchase there were some co2 emissions associated with it and just that little statement um yeah made me so much smile and felt so much pride because just basically realizing that there's something associated with every action and um, even though it's just buying like a little pen or like a t-shirt whatever we actually started to think or like let those people think about it. Maybe they they even go leave the clone app and Google what is like CO2. Um, is it just a delivery? No, it's not a delivery. It's like the raw materials extraction. It's the use phase. What detergent you use? Can you do you do you need to basically 
Tumblr are your fashion products or can you air dry them um, outside, for example? What about the recycling phase? So I would basically uh, just say everything that we, that we are basically doing when it comes to the consumer products, just creating that awareness and education, educational pieces through the Klarna app and other touch points is something that I think we can be super proud of. Um, Matthias? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Michael and happy to support Klarna in this work of and all the efforts done, of course, and I'm very happy to, to hear um, that going forward. I think to build on it further, I think Klarna addressed this at a really, in a really adult fashion, starting with themselves, putting a price on carbon within their orga own organization, um, helping others by donating from their uh, funding rounds and so forth. Not only telling others what to do, but actually doing it themselves. So hats off to that. Um, I also think it's interesting to see how, how we succeed in building a higher level of engagement. So recent data from, from our clients, which are banks around the world, working with obviously with Klarna, but also with BNP Paribas and Standard and & Chartered and Nordea and many, many more, they see a 15% higher engagement on mobile, which is tremendous numbers for any bank service. And that tells me that sustainability is on top of the list for many. And being educated around the fact that every action has a reaction, it's something that creates value, creates traction, creates stickiness in the service, and also strengthens the relationship and the loyalty of the user, which is fantastic because then we can see sustainability and this relationship of, of shared responsibility going hand in hand. So very happy to see that. Also very proud to see that users being exposed to their carbon footprint through their banking application, 24% um, of them claim to reduce their impact after becoming aware of this fact and what what gives what number. So I think applying that to, what is it, 145 million some users of Klarna and 24% of them aiming to reduce their impact, I think we're looking at some substantial change. And we are happy to be working with banks across the world today, representing over half a billion users. So um, sometimes when I go to bed, I feel really happy and proud about what we have been succeeding we're doing at the economy so far, but it's just a start. You know, we're we're building the team, uh, both within impact competencies, within product, within design, to bring this to as many people as possible to be able to contribute, and to further build on Michael's point around the UX and so forth. Sustainability needs to be sexier than any traditional kind of functionality. I'm so sick and tired of sustainability being more boring or harder to access or harder to understand, or it's the itchy socks that you got from your grandmother, or it's the less sweet uh, soda that you got, you know, because it's, it's more sustainable. We need to bring sexy back into say, sustainability and use that in our design work, in our design efforts and the UX making it second to none, because the challenge needs to be second to none. 
Unfortunately, we only released this as an audio, but uh, I rest assured to all our listeners that this is a pretty sexy podcast in terms of the people on it. Um, so, uh, and so this is a great start. Um, Juan, I'm coming to you. Yeah, I I, I see a lot of similarities into into what uh, Michael and Matthias were sharing. Into. So, once there is awareness, then the, the, there is action that comes after that. We we are working with with many uh, financial institutions. Some of them are uh, not traditionally sustainable investing related institutions. For example, some of them are hedge funds, and even those customers, once we are able to show them their, their footprints and their diversity data, now they're starting to in, include that into their annual reports. They started to ask for ask for more interactive ways of showing that data, like you know, widgets or an API, that, that connection with their website so that they can show more real-time information as well. Uh, and we see these customers also setting targets for next year in terms of their improvements. So I 100% agree that visibility of, of data and being able to help with the storytelling of the data helps them set, set targets and these are financial institutions working with hundreds of billions of euros so it's it's a it's a big impact in, in terms of capital allocation guys i'm going to ask you for any final comments really because i think that's a really nice way of ending it um so um michael have you got any final comments um let me see i think Final comments here, like sustainability is a thing that is here, is relevant. It's going to grow. It's only going to grow in the future. Um, I must say I'm super motivated uh, to work in that space, um, especially for Clona doing so many great things. Um, it really gives you something meaningful to get up in the morning and seeing such tremendous and nice services like the economy or Dacia, um, I'm pretty, pretty sure that we are on the right way. We we can't rest. Uh, we need to push. We need to push. We need to push, because we see the reports. They're not facing, or the trends is not really looking good. So we need more people pushing for the topic. Ask for yourself. Ask for your company. What can you kind of do more? It's really something we shouldn't rest. And yeah, just uh, something for all the listeners out there as well. Try to be more sustainable. Let's fix this problem and so that we can kind of have like a very nice and world and functioning world also for our children and uh, grandchildren, basically. Perfect. Matthias? Well, you know, I'm not really good with words and endings, so I, I'd like to steal some from Arthur Ashe and from Rumi. So Arthur Ashe said, start where you are, take what you have and do what you can. And I think that is on each and everyone's responsibility, right? And Rumi said, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise, so I'm changing myself. So there is really no excuses. You know, we can all do our part and we can all we can all give it a go. And the economy is here for you uh, when you want to try to drive sustainable change and lessen your impact. And that's exactly uh, why we started the company to begin with. Happy to see now that we are almost a hundred uh, hundred people sized team aiming to do that every day. So um, start where you're at. I think you might. I think you might be better with words than you think. Um, Juan. Yeah, it's hard to hard to follow up the the deep quotes, but uh, I will I will say uh, we you know if if you are uh, passionate about 
investments and, and sustainability, I think we uh, we need help and, and we, we're looking for talented people. Uh, we are growing really, really quickly now. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity to, to come and impact the finance industry and make it more sustainable uh, working with us. So we're welcome to, to hear from anyone passionate about the subject. Well, thank you so much. Um, if you are still listening, uh, thank you so much. Uh, and I would recommend, I've checked all three of you have got career pages. All three of you have got LinkedIn. So if you don't want to go on a career page, at least connect with uh, these guys, see what they're doing. Uh, they're posting about what they're doing. So at least it gives you an opportunity to start and hear about the conversation. But yeah, thank you, everyone.